but I don't think I've ever told this before. Back in the last millennia, in my first full-time ministry assignment in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, home of the flood, a city on a hill, not in a good way. I get there. I, I got there and saw this Jew. And just, Pastor Steve says, Oh, by the way, now when you first get to a new church and the senior pastor looks at you and says, Oh, by the way, you know something good is not, not going to follow that. It's going to be your turn. He says, We scheduled a missions trip for the teens to our church plant in Wilkesbury in two weeks. I'm like, bro, I just got here. I didn't say that. I was too afraid Pastor Steve was saying that. <laughs> if you met Pastor Steve, you'd understand why. Okay. So, sure enough, we had two, two big church vans, right? We pack up the teens, me and a couple of adult chaperones, and load them up, and off to Wilkesbury we go. See, I know some of you are trying to think of old Wilkesbury, where's that? See, some of you have seen the name and you think it's pronounced Wilkes Bar. No, it's Wilkesbury. Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. That's where Corey was nearby. Yeah, exactly, there you go, see? Yeah, okay. It's actually a very nice area. I mean, it's, it's kind of a land that time forgot. You know, I mean, Archie Bunker's house could still be there. But, but I mean, but it's, it's overall, it's a very nice area. Um, we used to go hunting up in a town, just out of a town called Renova that was up there. And literally, it was like out of the 50s, like the brownstones and the whole thing. It was, it was really weird, you know. Stop at the gas station and the old kind of pump where you pull the pump up, crank it. See, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> down to get the gas up. I miss that. Yeah. yeah. I miss gas at 35 cents a gallon. <laughs> anyway, so we load up all these teens, and the idea was we were going to take the teens up there, and at this church plant, there was this really nice park, and there was a fair going on, and we were going to do a, a, like a ministry festival in the park, playing games with kids and face painting and all this kind of stuff, and we were going to stay in their church building to sleep, you know, yeah, that was fun. Um, okay. And and I'm I mean I'm I have never done anything like this before. I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. I mean I came out of seminary, I'm still trying to decide, you know, I'm still thinking about, you know, silly theological concepts that nobody cares about, but now I'm gonna take 20 some teens up to Wilkesbury and we're gonna have a ministry festival in the park. Okay. Dr. Davis, you did not prepare me for so we get there and um, get settled in and, you know, they're teens, they're kind of rowdy. Heck, I'm not much more than a teen at this point. I mean, I'm like 20, I'm like 24 at this point, right? And um, the, uh, you know, I mean, from my perspective, the, the people that were having us were not very well organized. You know, they had like, 
like we were getting there on, the, the thing was going to be on Saturday, we were getting there late on Friday, and they did have food for us, but they hadn't like really thought of activities for these kids to do. Okay, so you're going to have 20 teenagers in your church building at 8 o'clock at night, and you haven't thought of activities for them to do. This is a recipe for disaster, right? You remember that old song, right? Flirting with disaster? Yeah, there it was. Okay, I was living it. Why, at 24, do you think that I was a guy who had any games for teens to play? No. I mean, I've since learned it's a lot of fun things you can do with young people. I also learned at our youth group meeting last week that I'm not young anymore. <laughs> As I got really smoked really bad at go-karts. I also learned that Isaac is a really aggressive <laughs> you should, Dave, you should know this for the future, okay? He's a really aggressive driver. Did he tell you how to license this week? <laughs> uh oh. God, we come from the I'm just saying. Acts 14 are going to get to live that out. 
Now, you remember last week, we found Paul and Barnabas. They traveled inland in Asia Minor to Pisidian Antioch. Pisidian Antioch, so you don't confuse it with the other Antioch in Syria, where they came from. And then Luke tells us that we have, we have Paul's first full-length sermon that's recorded. And from that, we got three really important things. First thing, the Old Testament is not optional. It's foundational. We need the Old Testament to rightly understand Jesus, both in his person and his work. If you want to understand the New Testament, you have to lean into the Old Testament. And I'm going to be honest with you, there's not many things I'm willing to die on, but I'm willing to die on that hill. Okay. Secondly, while the Jews did not like it, and even seemed to miss it in the Old Testament, God's plan has always been to reach all people with the gospel. Abraham was promised he would be a blessing to all peoples, and through Jesus that happens. God spelled out through the prophets that the promised Messiah would be a light to all the peoples of the world. It was not an afterthought. It was God's plan all along. Finally, and maybe the most important thing we can get out of Paul's sermon, is that the resurrection of Jesus is central to our faith. No resurrection, then sin and death still reign, and we are lost. But thanks be to God, Jesus is risen, and through him we have salvation and look forward to rising with him in eternity. Okay, so that takes us up to Acts 14, and now we find our missionaries have traveled to the city of Iconium. So they were over here in the city of Antioch, and they've gone through the mountains over here to Iconium. And this city is also in the mountains. Historians tell us that it had a large mix of, of native Phrygians, who were not Romans by birth, um, and some Romans that had moved in, some colonists and that sort of thing, and some Jews. And what we're going to find is Paul and Barnabas find both success and opposition in Iconium. Starting in verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And so they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So you got Paul and Barnabas, they go to Iconium, they follow their standard protocol, right? They start at the synagogue, they're preaching the gospel to the Jews and to the God-fearing Gentiles. And they're really successful. God grants them a great deal of success. This is a whole bunch of people came to the Lord. And many believed, and their preaching is accompanied by a whole bunch of unspecified miracles. Awesome. But as their success grows, they're also met with increasing opposition. The unbelieving Jews stir up the Gentiles, and a plot develops, which drives them from Iconium and causes them to flee to the cities of Lister and Derby, where they will continue to preach the gospel. Now, I think it's absolutely critical for any of us who want to serve the Lord understand and prepare ourselves for a variety of responses. When you're out talking about Jesus, you might get all sorts of responses. 
Here, there was great success, but it's accompanied by violent opposition, literally violent opposition. It says they were planning to stone them. And the opposition came from people who should have known better, considering that the Jews could check Paul's message against the scripture and see if he spoke the truth. But it was actually incited by some of those people. When I was in Pennsylvania, in that story I told you, it was hard for me to understand why I was getting such nasty pushback from the very person that our teens and I were there to help. I mean, I thought I was doing the best with what I was given, especially with two weeks of notice. I mean, now if you told me you wanted me to plan a mission trip, we could have some fun. We'd do all sorts of cool stuff. In fact, I'm thinking Peru is sounding good, Joey. <laughs> Winter's going to be here soon. Maybe Peru sounds good. classmates could have suddenly find fault with your kid all of a sudden. The kid's just there doing their thing, the normal thing that they like to do, all of a sudden somebody else is going to find fault. It's always stuff like that that happens. It's just part of life. There's opposition, especially when you're successful at something. So what should you do? Well, what did Paul Barnabas do? It's more like what they didn't do. They didn't fight back. See, our tendency when opposed is to fight back and defend ourselves. Most of the time in these kind of situations, that is not the correct response. Because it almost always ends up with your enemies entrenched deeper into your position. Now there's times to fight back. Attack my wife and feel my wrath. Jesus. What does Peter say in 1 Peter 2? 
Talking about Jesus. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Did Jesus defend himself from retaliating? No, he just trusted God to deal with it. Could Jesus have called, what, you know, legions of angels to come defend him? Yes, legions, thousands of angels. I always, when I say that, like to remind you, in the Old Testament, in the book of Kings, one angel shows up and wipes out the entire Syrian army of 185,000 people. One angel. I don't want to find out when thousands of them show up. I, I want to be there. <laughs> bad. It's going to go bad. Yeah. Don't, don't mess. Yeah, he could have done that, but he didn't. Paul, Paul actually explains this reasoning, and, and maybe this is a lesson he just learned as he traveled. When he writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 12, and he tells us how to deal with this stuff. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We don't overcome objections or evil or opposition by going to battle. We overcome these things with the love of Christ. You don't overcome the evils of abortion by blowing up abortion clinics and assassinating abortion doctors. We overcome evil with love. And when the evil is directed at us, for we can trust ourselves to the one who judges justly, just as Jesus did, just as Paul of Barnabas did. Trust God, keep serving, Keep loving. Now, sometimes you can be successful, and it's not opposition, it's misunderstanding that causes the problem. So Paul and Barnabas are going to head off, and we're going to see what's going to happen in the next city of Lystra, where there's misunderstanding. Verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet! And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying, Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen, and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, 
satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice. What a story. And it had to be weird for Paul and, and Barnabas. Now, did you notice the little note in there? It, 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 Luke points out that they were saying in Lyconian, right? They were speaking their, their, kind of their native tongue. I think he tells us that because at first Paul and, Bar Paul and Barnabas don't speak Laconian, so they're like, they don't know what's going on. They're just like, oh, here comes the rocks again, probably. You know, one thing that's been true in every age is that we can easily misunderstand events, even in their context. And I think this happens because we tend to interpret events according to our past knowledge and experience. When Paul and Barnabas come to Lystra and they miraculously heal this guy who's crippled from birth, the people evaluate this miracle by what they know, which was the Roman system of gods. They're, they're functioning out of what they know. They're not, they're not in this, they're not being malicious. They're acting in accord, not, not yet anyway, they will be, don't worry. They were acting in accordance with what they understood at the time. So what do you do when there's a misunderstanding? You explain yourself. Paul makes an argument from what we call natural revelation, right? God has made himself evident in the creation and in his providential care of the world and its people. This is the argument that he, he has in Romans chapter 1. God's made himself evident. That's why no one has an excuse for ignoring the existence of God because he is revealed in creation. He's shown himself to be there. He hasn't told, him, told you everything you need to know but he's told you enough that, that you should be looking for him, you should know there's a God. Now God is specifically revealing himself and his salvation for all people through Christ. Now you know, one of the oft-forgotten principles of effective communication is that if we're trying to tell something or communicate something to someone and they don't understand it, in general, the onus is on us to do our best make ourselves understood. Teachers know this. Teachers know this very well. Because they realize that, you know, different kids learn differently, and if a kid isn't understanding, it's probably not the kid's fault. Maybe they just need to teach it in a different way. And so teachers are taught a variety of ways to teach things so that they can teach things in a different way that teaches things to people the way they need it to be taught. Sometimes hard to be misunderstood. I don't even know why I get into these things, but, but it was fun. 
a smart guy. And, and in the midst of this, the thing about Twitter, of course, is it's an open forum. So there's always, whenever you're having a discussion with somebody, and the two of you are having a serious discussion, some other, some other dude's got to interject his two cents in there. <laughs> and I'm just reading the two cents, and I'm like, and I wanted to respond back, dude, you're not even, you're not even talking about the same thing we're talking about. But I, I did. Because this guy, this wasn't a misunderstanding. He was just, but, but me and this, this other the theologian, we were trying to understand where each other was coming from. And after a number of tweets, we did. And it was awesome. And I learned something, and, and maybe he learned something. Oh, he's smarter than I am, so he probably didn't even learn anything. But, but I learned something, and I thought it was great. We don't fully disagree, fully agree. But I learned something. And so sometimes, what seems like opposition at first might just be misunderstanding. And so we need to be careful and learn to discern the difference. We should, in fact, expect that people will misunderstand. People might misunderstand our words, they might misunderstand our motives, they might misunderstand our actions. And when this happens, we should explain ourselves the best we can, try to be understood. We're not perfect. Those on the end of our words and actions, on the receiving end, they're not perfect either. That's why remember Romans that we read earlier says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Some folks, we're not going to ever get them to understand. I know I'm not perfect. Why I always say, you know, you hear something from me and, and you don't get it or, or whatever, you can seek clarification or explanation. You can disagree with me, and it's okay. It's okay. You can disagree with me in my faith. We can talk about it. Might end with a cool bro. Might not. Okay? But you know what? Here's the other thing. We can disagree, and I will still love you. That's an important skill people need to master. A lot of people these days seem to miss that. I can disagree with you, and I can still love you. You can disagree with me, you can still love me. And I mean, I'm a pretty easy guy to love, so. <laughs> Maybe not. But you know, sometimes, despite your best efforts, there's still misunderstanding. And that can take a turn for the worst, because sometimes when there's misunderstanding, it becomes opposition. And Paul quickly finds out that when we serve the Lord and we serve others, we also need to embrace suffering as a lifestyle. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, remember, remember, these people are just, a little while ago, they're wanting to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas, like they're gods. Having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Jerusalem. See, it's important, if all possible, to clear up misunderstandings, because other people can use those misunderstandings to cause trouble. Because some people have bad motives, and then they find someone who is already not understanding you, and they rile them up, and their simple misunderstanding turns into bad things. Gruntled Jews from Antioch and Iconium, they show up in Lystra just to cause trouble for Paul and Barnabas. I mean, these folks must have been really upset, right? It is a grueling 90-mile journey through the mountains 
to go from Iconium to Lystra. And they came just to stir up trouble. You've got to really be upset with somebody to walk 90 miles through the mountains just so that you can get them in trouble in another city. I don't have that kind of energy. But man, these people did. I mean, it's hard for me to understand people like that. I just got better things to do than go make trouble for other people. But wow, they just must, they were something else. So I don't know, you know, some hours or maybe, you know, a day before, they thought Paul's literally a god come to earth, and now the tides are shifted, and they stone Paul. And the thing about it is, this is going to be Paul's lifestyle for the rest of his life. It is, it's a lifestyle of suffering. Everywhere he goes, he's going to suffer for the gospel. You know, I've never had anyone throw a little literal stone in my head. I have seen many pastors welcomed into a church like they're some sort of long-lost hero of the war, only to find themselves on the receiving end of derision not long after. And not just pastors. Anyone ever started a new job? And everybody's so happy you're there. Oh, they welcome you at your new job. We're so, it's great to have you here. This is going to be great. You, you know? Until you say the wrong thing to the wrong person, or you're better at your job than some other person, or you break some unspoken rule that nobody told you about, but we got it that way for 20 years. And rah, 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 rah. Right? Or you accidentally park in some Karen's parking spot or whatever it is. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the rocks come out. Because people can just be difficult sometimes. Well, what are you going to do? back up, heads back to his companions, heads on to the next city to preach the gospel. He doesn't go after his persecutors. He doesn't take them to the courts. I think one thing we tend to not think about, Paul. Paul's a Roman citizen. He was attacked unjustly by Roman colonists. He could have taken his case to the courts, and Roman colonists attacking a Roman city would result in a harsh response from whichever Roman soldiers were in charge in that area. He could have made some real trouble for these people. He just moves on. See, this is another underutilized skill that everybody needs to develop. The ability to go full on Elsa and just let it go. <laughs> I used to be super bad about this. I mean, I could chew on some slight or some wrong for weeks on an end. Man, a bad, stale piece of gum. You know, that literally does no one any good, especially you. I used to be a lot more willing to be confrontational than I am now. Because you know what, honestly, rarely does confrontation solve the issue. It wasn't going to for Paul here. I just got bigger fish to fry. There's plenty of folks I can serve and love and minister to. Man, I don't need to fixate on the ones who aren't interested. Isn't it funny how we, we fixate on people that don't want us and that don't want our help to the detriment of the people who love us and who we can serve and who are right there for us to love and serve and care for? Don't do that. 
know, the ups and downs of serving the Lord, I mean, really, if you think about it, just a microcosm of the same stuff that we, we all experience this, right? We experience it in our jobs, we can experience it in our family. Sometimes there's going to be success, sometimes there's going to be opposition, sometimes there's going to be misunderstanding. What? Misunderstanding in our families? Never. That never happens. And you know what? If you're, if you're, if you're here and you're alive and you're in any way, shape, or form trying to love people, trying to serve them, suffering is going to be a part of your life. It'll find you even when you're not looking for it. It'll be there someday. But it's critical that sometimes we learn to explain ourselves. And sometimes we learn to just let the Lord defend us, just let him take it. To know when to let it go. To make sure we do our best to make ourselves understood, but also realize that, you know what? Some folks just want to fight. Don't give it. Walk away. And in it all, I think it's very important that we never lose the ethic of Jesus, who not only entrusted himself to the one who judges rightly, but he even forgave those who love and hurt him. And he loved people with every circumstance. Father, I'm so thankful for the example set by Paul and Barnabas that they they knew when to explain and when to walk away and when to let it go and when to move on and when to stand up for themselves. Because we're going to see that later on in Acts. Paul, Paul will stand up for himself when the time is right. Most of all, that we just continue to love people and be like Jesus probably the hardest thing because sometimes people just, just they want to fight. They want to oppose you. I don't love them anymore. Help us in every way just to understand the situation. When we're misunderstood to help us make ourselves understood. But most of all to entrust ourselves to the one who judges rightly, who sends his own son for us and whose love never fails. And to give him the glory
filled with all the fullness of God. Uh, God bless. Go in peace. Amen. Amen.